Welcome to the South Mims U podcast, and in this episode we're going to talk about Donald Trump and prison. Many people would like to see him go to prison once he stops being president, and there's a distinct possibility that that will happen, unless, of course, he's pardoned by his successor. It's been speculated that Trump's desire for a second term is motivated not just by a lust for power, but the hope that four more years in the White House will see many of the lawsuits and legal cases against him fall foul of the statute of limitations. If he stays in the Oval Office long enough, he'll avoid doing time for a range of crimes. But we have found evidence that he is already planning to profit from any potential time served in the penitentiary. Yes, you heard that right. Donald Trump fully expects to do some time, and he's worked out a way to profit from it. He's going to write his prison diaries. It's provisionally titled The Biggest Cell in History. That's cell with a C. But it's obviously a play on words. The subtitle is A No-Holds-Barred Story of the Great Betrayal of Our Country. Some neat wordplay there, obviously. How do we know this? Well, that's the story we're going to tell you right now. First, why can't Trump be sent to prison while he is president? To find out, I spoke to our expert in presidential history, Thurman Arthur. Well, the president is not above the law. Well, the fact was reinforced in July of 2020 when the Supreme Court of the United States ruled that Donald Trump's tax records could be given to a court in New York which was investigating cases against him. All nine of the Supreme Court justices agreed that a president cannot be deemed to be above the law. But, and it's a big but, a president is considered to be constitutionally immune from prosecution while he or she is president. For the president to be prosecuted and perhaps sent to jail, they would have to be impeached and removed from office before they could be put on trial in a criminal court. Well, that's interesting. When was that policy adopted? Well, well, it's always been the case. In fact, from the start, George Washington was very eager for the office of president to be seen as one or that of an ordinary man not a royal or an aristocrat, or anyone who gains it through patronage, should hold. That's why the power to impeach a sitting president exists. You get rid of a bad president and then you put him in jail when he's no longer president anymore. It protects the office, the sanctity of the office, as it were. OK, but before Trump, only three presidents have been impeached. That's true, isn't it? Yes, 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 yes. Andrew Johnson, who succeeded Abraham Lincoln, then Bill Clinton, and of course then Donald Trump. Oh, right. Not uh, Richard Nixon? Richard Nixon was impeached, wasn't he? No, no. Many people think he was impeached, but he resigned before he could be. He avoided the ignominy, and that's why the idea of constitutional immunity was brought into sharp focus. The Department of Justice adopted the policy and it was reaffirmed in the year 2000. But what happens after the election? Nothing. You have a president-elect. The president is still president until January the 20th. At noon, when the new president is inaugurated, the former president becomes an ordinary citizen again and... Can be prosecuted. 
Exactly. He or she can be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law for crimes which are still pending. Like in Trump's case, uh, obstruction of justice linked to the Ukraine scandal. Uh, that is, if he fails to get a second term. Right. If he can string it along, then the statute of limitations saves him from that particular charge. It does. But there are many cases against Trump. And of course, there are his taxes and other business-related fraud cases. There's a good chance he could lose one or more of these cases and, and well, end up in jail. Right. Well, thank you, Thurman. That's been fascinating. So, the chances are that Donald Trump will, at some point in the future, go to jail. Many people would like to see that happen. But why would he want to write his diaries, or at least have someone else write them for him? Well, there's a long tradition of prison writings, books, diaries, stories and poems, which were written as their authors languished in jail. To give us a summary of that tradition, I contacted our Head of Prison Literature Studies, Professor Corey M. Storrow. Um, and it turned out that Professor Storrow is actually, well, in jail. I managed to get permission to speak to him, and this is what he told me. I was, of course, framed. Those checks were entirely legitimate, and Veronica was a beautician down on her luck. I didn't realise that the pills were drugs, and of course... No, no, that's OK, Corey. I, I, I do believe you. And I thought Sergei worked for Putnam the Travel Company, not, well, Putin. That's all right. OK, so are you actually writing while you're in prison, Corey? Of course. Well, what are you writing? A children's book. And what's it about? A prison rat called Bob. Bob the Rat. Bob the Prison Rat. And what does Bob the Prison Rat do? He supplies meth to crack-addicted inmates. Oh, right. Well, I thought you said it was a children's book. It's an alternative children's book. More a teen book, really. OK, well, so, Corey, the deep tradition of prison writings. Explain. Yes. It's a universal. Throughout history, prisoners, guilty, innocent, criminal, political, sexual, they've all put pen to parchment to let their incarcerated imaginations run wild or they try to put the world to rights. While in their narrow, cold cells, with a Bulgarian weightlifter in the bed above who's prone to force nine farting fits... Uh, OK, well, can, can you give us some examples? Well, in the Middle Ages, you had Sir Thomas Mallory, who wrote the epic poem La Morte d'Arthur, while he was awaiting trial for rape and theft. In his festering cell, he let his mind travel to the times of King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table, and he produced one of the greatest epic poems of the time. Well, Mike... Donald Trump do something like that? Not if he has a ghostwriter. Unless perhaps they imprison the ghostwriter with him. Uh, that might be an idea, actually. Well, I'll, that is a good idea. I, I'll put that possibility to her and see what she thinks. Yeah, you do that. Then there's Miguel Cervantes, who was thrown into jail on a number of occasions. And on one or more of them, he started writing Don Quixote. It's considered Europe's first truly modern novel. Don Quixote... Tilting at windmills. Rather like what Donald Trump does most days. Well, you could say that. I just did say that. Then you have Ezra Pound, a fascist American. There's a parallel. He was thrown into jail by the American army in Italy during the Second World War when he praised Mussolini. He started his Pisan cantos there. They're poems, by the way. Oh, I'm sorry. I've lost track of time in this place. My chronology is all over the shop. That's OK, Corey. Marco Polo was thrown into jail when he got back from the East. And he told his stories to a fellow inmate, Rustichello de Pisa, who then wrote the book The Travels of Marco Polo. 
Oh, really? I, n- I never knew that. Well, now you do. You should have gone to some of my lectures. Uh, well, you got arrested before I could, Corey. Uh, yeah, OK, right, yeah. So, uh, well, then there's Marquis de Sade. Now, that's a writer Trump might appreciate. He wrote the novel Justine while he was in the Bastille in Paris in 1787. For just two weeks, mind, but he knocked out the erotic story of a much-abused woman who spilled the beans on her abusers. A kind of Jeffrey Epstein-style tell-all. Uh, Epstein, good mates with Trump, wasn't he? Uh, allegedly, yes. Uh, you're so coy. Of course, you have Adolf Hitler starting his Mein Kampf while in a rather comfy imprisonment in Landsberg. Then, there's the Water Valley. Uh, my, I'm jumping about in history, aren't I? It's the food here. I'm sure they add chemicals to it to keep us docile. Well, what did uh, Sir Walter Raleigh write? Volume one of his History of the World. He was in the Tower of London because he plotted against James I. Well, I thought he plotted against Elizabeth I. He did. He was a real plotter. Anyway, he spent 13 years behind bars. And how many volumes did he write? He planned five, but he only wrote one. What happened? He was executed in 1618. OK, right. Then you have Oscar Wilde. He was furnished jail for perversion, so he wrote some pretty famous stuff, namely De Profundis. And the Ballad of Renwick Jail? He wrote that in exile about being in prison. Oh, I see. Political prison writings include those of Antonio Gramsci, famous lefty. Trump wouldn't like him. And Nelson Mandela, who wrote Conversations with Myself. And Martin Luther King, who wrote Letters from Birmingham Jail, which includes a quote I think is apt. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Tell that to Trump. Indeed. So, Corey, do you think that Trump's prison diaries will be worth reading? Depends. They'll be all about him. The best prison writing is all about the world, about the other inmates, about life and philosophy and how to make the world a better place, or at least to give the reader an insight into an experience the vast majority of them will never have. So, in short, no, they won't be worth reading. Unless, of course, the ghostwriter turns out to be a literary genius. If he does, everyone will know it's not Trump. Right. Well, Corey Storro, thank you very much for your time. That's all I have, mate. Time. Oh, uh, time for lights out. Cheers. Cheers, Corey. So, the tradition of political writing is a long and complex one. Maybe that's why Donald Trump is preparing to join it. It's an opportunity to profit from the possibility of incarceration. He will, of course, make political capital from it. But why not also make actual capital? Cash. By selling books to the faithful. For it is only his faithful supporters who will pay inflated prices for what will probably be a thin and inane book. Well, that's what you'd think. But as we discovered, the truth is, as the cliché goes, stranger than fiction. To help me explain, we have our world-famous robotic lecturer in the studio. It's called DV8, and it's a cutting-edge piece of technology. Uh, oh, sorry, DV8. Uh, do you mind me calling you it? Not at all. I have no gender, so it is apt. Having no gender makes for an easy life, actually. Really? Students of both sexes feel more comfortable when they are in my seminars and tutorials. I mean, after the, well, the scandal. Yes, uh, we are contractually bound not to talk of the, um, the scandal. Cory Storrow is a fine academic, but troubled. Indeed. So, how did we manage to get this story about Donald Trump's putative prison diaries? Well, they are not quite putative yet. 
putative being something that is reputed to be in existence, they are not in existence yet. Not wholly, anyway. They are still being brought into existence. They are nascent. Right, yes. Let's be precise. I am programmed to be precise. Indeed you are. I was scanning the university's entire email system for any breaches of etiquette or social policy. You do that? I do. Twice a day. A university has to be careful. We can't have anyone saying anything racist or sexist or anything else that could be deemed to be unacceptable using the university's servers. So I scan every word that's written. Amazing. I mean, how long does that take you? 3.6 seconds. Oh, right. And, um, uh, are you all, are you okay, Deviate? I just did it then. I think we need to talk to our lecturer in ethics about his obsession with... I'd better not say. Okay. So in one of these scans, I discovered that there had been contact between one of our academics and someone in Trump Tower, New York City. It was made through a seemingly innocuous golfing magazine and golf supplies store somewhere in Ohio. Golf? Yes, golf. Mr. Trump's favourite pastime. Explain. We have a professor of golf studies here at South Mims. Indeed. And golf studies are becoming ever more popular. It is. But it turns out that the funding for the course comes via various intermediaries, some of them Russian, from one of the Trump organisation's many businesses. Curiously, the world's media hasn't paid much attention to that. Indeed. Many believe those links compromise the integrity of the course. The golf course. <laughs> there. You got me there. The golf course. That's the joke the department always makes. It makes me chuckle. <laughs> I didn't realise uh, robots could chuckle. Our machine learning algorithms allow for chuckling. Well, that's good to know. So, anyway... It was our golf academic who got the job to ghostwrite these memoirs. Yes, she is Lucinda Baines Compton, one-time women's golf champion and now ghostwriter for Donald Trump. We confronted her first on the golf course a few miles from the South Mims campus. I'll play the tape of the moment you confronted her. Thank you, that's very kind of you, DV8. It's a pleasure. Um, Miss Baines Compton. Um, hold on, just got this last part. Could you wait? Oh, okay, okay. There, perfect. Uh, good part. Thank you. And you are? I'd like to talk to you about uh, Donald Trump's prison diaries. What? No, th that's that's ludicrous. I I have to. Is that the time? I have a lecture in the history of bunkers in five minutes. Sorry. Uh, uh, Miss Baines Compton, uh, we have proof that you are ghostwriting Donald Trump's prison memoirs. I I'm sorry, I have to dash. She ran back to the clubhouse, but later that afternoon I caught up with her at the Golf Studies faculty building, which happens to be at the bar of the local golf club. Oh, you again. Look, I don't know what kind of joke this is, but I have a faculty meeting and... Uh, but we have proof that you've been hired 
via various intermediaries to ghostwrite Trump's prison diaries. Oh, that's ludicrous. He's not in prison yet. I, I mean, he's not in prison and probably won't be. And, and why would they want me to write them? I'm a golf academic, not a writer. But, Miss Baines Compton, we know that you are a writer. Oh, this is ridiculous. You are, are you not? Molly Marnier, author of 18 erotic novels available via Amazon. What? Who told you that? Are you or are you not? Well, I, I am. And after Ivanka Trump read a particular passage in She Always Wanted It on the Fairway, a novel about a passionate affair between a tycoon's daughter and a has-been golf master, she recommended you to her father. Oh, God. You can't hide the truth, Miss Baines Compton. Oh, God. Lucinda Baines Compton finally agreed to talk after some intense negotiations. Aided by the evidence I'd compiled from her secret emails, which were stored on Ivanka's private server, Lucinda might be good at golf, but she's no good at cyber security. She spoke to me frankly the day after we confronted her. It came out of the blue. I mean, I get, you know, fan mail, uh, comments and reviews on Amazon, messages on my website and tweets, of course. Readers who like my unique mix of um, passionate sex and golf tips. So there's a, an audience for that. I had 48,000 downloads of that novel as an ebook last year. Oh, right. Oh, well, that's amazing. And so I thought it was a joke when Ivanka got in touch. She said something about how she loved the part where my heroine, Tanya Banya... Tanya Banya? Oh, my readers love names like that. Anyway, when Tanya loses her virginity in the bunker by the ninth hole to Sheridan Shields, the ageing golf master with a super-intelligent prosthetic leg after being wounded in Iraq. Um, no, 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 let's focus on the Trump story, shall we? OK, Tanya says something about her father's prison diaries and how they could hold the secret to the loss of Sheridan's billions in a Wall Street scam. Oh, I see how Ivanka might empathise, right? Sure, yes, that makes sense. And before I knew it, I was talking to Trump on the phone. Donald Trump himself? Yes, we had a long chat. Ivanka had read the excerpts I'd created of Hawley Banyas, that's Tanya's father, prison diaries. Trump said, can we just use them as they are? I said, wouldn't it be best if we wrote them so they sounded like you wrote them? And he agreed to that. Said I was a genius. And before I knew it, I had a contract. Just like that? Just like that. And you started writing? I did. But he's not in prison. Well, that's what I said. They told me, his people told me, it didn't matter. He wanted the prison diaries to come out, well, a week after he gets sent to the penitentiary. So he's fairly sure he will be sent to a penitentiary? Well, he must be, though he's also hedging his bets. Well, how so? If he manages to win a second term, or escapes with fines, or isn't convicted, then we can publish it as a novel. Trump's first novel in which he imagines America's greatest president being sent to prison by the radical left Democrats who have imposed a totalitarian state. Will that involve much of a rewrite? Well, not much, really. Well, can you share some of what you've written with us? Sorry, I've signed an NDA. A non-disclosure agreement? Yes. But you're talking to me and we're recording it. It's not a particularly good NDA. It just covers what's in the books. Books? We're planning eight volumes. Oh. But I can read you anything that has been rejected by Ivanka and Jared. Ivanka and Jared? Oh, Jared did a summer school course in literature when he was 15, so he's editing the book. Oh, right. Here's a section they cut out. I'll read it. Please do. 
They made me rake the bunkers on the prison golf course. The buggy they sent to take me there was too small. They had to squeeze me in. It hurt my legs and my back ached. I asked the other convict who was driving if this kind of treatment was usual, or maybe I could get Roger Stone to claim it was cruel and unusual and get released. But Brad, the driver, was an ex-Marine, and he said, Mr President, this is a luxury. If I were you, I'd keep that mouth of yours shut. Sorry to be blunt, Mr President, but you've got to learn the ways of the jail, or you're going to be a goner. I thought this man knows what he's talking about, having been imprisoned for 15 years for murder. So I suffered till we got to the bunker on the 18th green. We raked the sand in the hot sun. Then I saw a stray putter and a ball, and I couldn't resist. I picked them up. You have no fear, do you, Donny? Brad said, his voice full of gravelly admiration. Now nah, I do what I want, I replied. I then placed the ball at the edge of the green, got my sight line in, positioned my feet and putted. The ball missed by an inch. So close, said Brad. So why was that cut? He missed the putt. What I learned is you can't ever write failure into anything to do with Trump. So that's not covered by the NDA? Curiously, no. Well, thank you, Lucinda. That was a revelation. Will those prison diaries be published, let alone written? Only time will tell. All we can say here at South Mims U is that these are very strange times, and anything, everything, is possible. So if one day you see those prison diaries, all eight volumes of them, on the bestseller lists, you can say, I heard about it here first. Thank you for your time, and please check out the wide range of other subjects we have on offer. If you like them, share them, review them, tweet about them, and keep on being surprised by what the world provides. Goodbye.